I'm so thankful for our church family in this season. And um, I got to tell you, like I have, I, I said this last week, but I hold our elders in high regard. You have no, many, no idea how many hours they have spent in addition to their lives and their ministries just really slowing down, not just making decisions, but praying, saying, God, you got this. This is your church. And it's been such a beautiful thing. And I want to pause and say thank you to so many of you who have also expressed to let, let me know, like you've come alongside me and you've grabbed my arm and said, we are praying. We are praying for our church. We are praying for each other. We're in this together. This is what whatever God wants to do next, we are ready for it. We want to be ready for it. We want to put our hearts before him. And so I just want to let you tell, I think, like as I've heard you say those things and as I've heard you say, like, and we're praying for Joel and Debbie and what God wants to do in their lives too. Like all of those expressions are just it's the church that I want to belong to, that loves well, that says, like, this is what Jesus looks like. And so I want to say thank you for that, because I think Jesus has been smiling. He's been smiling on this whole situation and saying, don't worry, I'm at work. I'm at work, and I'm really proud of you guys. And so I just want to say thanks to you for all of that, because, I mean, there's no doubt that over this last week, um, it's been tough. This, is, this has been a tough week, and with any transition, right, we are tempted to well, and, and it's, it's not just tempted, but we are there. We say, what's next, God? What do you want to do? What do you want to do, God? And there's no doubt that that's been part of our conversation over the last few weeks. But, you know, I'm sure you know those big transitions in your own life. You know, those transitions where you're, like, between a job and you're going, what, what, what do I do now? What, what's next? Or whether it's um, when you're in high school and you're like, how do I decide what I'm going to do with the rest of my life in this moment? How do I make those decisions? Or whether it's transitions with relationships and that you feel like a loss and a relationship isn't working well or, or you lost a relationship and you're like, what do I do? Those are big transitions in our lives. And when we have those transitions, like the season that our church has been in, the one thing that God reminds us of is, I'm bigger than this. I'm always at work. And you don't need to... You don't need to worry. You just need to lean into me. And we saw Jesus doing this. We talked last week about Acts chapter 1. Now, Acts was written by a guy named Luke, and Luke was a kind of a documenter of history. He was like, I want to write this down. All this incredible stuff that's happening, I want to make sure people know what this incredible stuff was that was happening. So he wrote it down, and we talked last week about Acts 1 and how in Acts 1, Jesus, so so little historical review. So Jesus, um, Jesus dies on the cross takes on the penalty of all of, weight of all of our junk, and the disciples lose him. And then, three days later, they get him back. He's resurrected. And he, they don't, it's just not the, the disciples, his closest friends that see him. Hundreds and thousands of people are witness to Jesus in the flesh after that moment. Piece of history, right? And it's amazing. It's an amazing time. And then, it's this first chapter of Acts. And Jesus looks at his closest friends and followers, and he says, now, I need to go back to be with my father, to sit at my father's side. And you want me to go because I'm going to pray for you, and I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to do a new work in you. And so here they are again losing him. And Jesus says, this is my advice. I want you to know the church has always been my idea. I want you to know that the Holy Spirit's going to come, and he's going to do amazing things in all of you. And I want you to unite and pray and wait. Now, I don't know if you've ever waited, but these guys waited, you know, when you're like, God, I want an answer. What's next? And you're waiting. These guys waited for like 40 days. They waited for a long time. And they prayed. They're like, I can't, I, I can just imagine them going, 
what's it going to be like? Jesus talked to us about the Holy Spirit coming. What's this going to be like? And they felt those powerful moments when they were with Jesus. And, and I, I even wonder if they remembered words of Jesus, like when he said, you will do greater things than I. And can you imagine this? Like these guys walked with Jesus. They saw him heal lame people and they walked. They saw him heal blind people. They saw him raise someone from the dead. And they're like, we're going to do greater things than you, Jesus? When my Holy Spirit comes, you're going to do greater things than I. Wow. You imagine what as they sat and they waited for this moment. And then in Acts 2, the church explodes. The Holy Spirit comes and things just go crazy. And it is messy and it is good and God is at work. And that's where we pick up our story today. Um, story of when in Acts chapter 2, um, what happens, the Holy Spirit comes and, and Peter steps up to the mound. And he says something to a crowd. Now, remember, Peter is this guy who's pretty impetuous. Words come out. Have you ever been a person where, you know, you say things and you wish you could get them back? You know, you're like, no, I didn't mean to say that. You want to get back? That's Peter. He doesn't have a very good filter. He's corrected by Jesus a lot. And this is, this is the same guy, too, right, who, who at Jesus' crucifixion, in Jesus' most vulnerable moment, Peter's closest friend, the person he called Lord, the person he said he would die for, in Jesus' most vulnerable moment, even after being warned that this would happen, Peter denies Jesus, denies his friendship. Right there in Jesus' presence, denies that he even knows him. Imagine. This is the Peter that steps to the mountain. So I just, I want to ensure you this morning that no matter what your background is and where you come from, if you're a person that says, if you don't know my story, God could never use me. I just want you to know that's every Jesus' follower story. Every Jesus follower has a story, has junk in their past. They go, you don't know my story. No, God knows your story, and he's still chosen to love you, and he's still inviting you into this amazing journey. This is Peter. And so he steps up into the front of this crowd, and he says, now, again, I get this. These are the people who have been here in Jerusalem, have seen Jesus crucified, and this is what he says to them. Now, remember, he's been in all these scenes too where he saw Jesus put to death over this kind of confrontation and he steps up to the mountain he says you people who crucified him now that takes some chutzpah right like to stand up in the midst of that and to like say that to people it's like not recommended a crowd of 3,000 to badger them into something and yet here he is speaking to them honestly and truthfully and here's what we find him saying in Acts chapter 2 verse 36 and 37 he says So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord, that word means leader, the leader of your life, and Messiah, and that word means Savior or forgiver. And Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to the apostles, brothers, what should we do? They are so moved by Peter. They are so moved by God's Spirit that they say the same words that we say in big transitions. What should we do? What do I do now in this moment? What do I do? And Peter goes on to tell them, you need to respond. You need to say, God, I'm sorry for all the messed up stuff in my past. You need to repent. You need to turn to God and you need to say, God, I need you in my life. I want you in my life. I want you to do something new in my life. I need a relationship with you. I need to be baptized so that God can fill you with his Holy Spirit and change your life. In other words, what Peter's saying is you need to say yes to Jesus. You need to say yes to all the things that the living Christ wants to do in your life. That is the great invitation. And so this morning, 
I want to start there um, as we talk about this idea of transition in our life and what it means to say yes to Jesus, and in fact, what happens when we say yes to Jesus, what it is that happens in our lives. And so if you want to pull out your, your program guide, or inside your program guide, you see the thing that says scoop, and inside there is the scriptures. You can follow along as we take some notes as we talk through the scriptures this morning. And that's this question of what's next? What happens when we say yes to Jesus? Now, if you are a follower of Jesus, if, if you've given your yes to Jesus, you've had one of these moments, I want you to rewind the tape for a second. I want you to recall what that was like. And let me describe a little bit of what it felt like for me, because some of you are still admiring Jesus and checking him out. So I just want to, I want to describe this moment, you know, the moment where you realize, I don't want to do life on my own. The moment you realize that I've got all this messed up stuff and it keeps coming back to haunt me. The moment you realize that I feel guilt and shame about some things, I just wish I could put that behind me. The moment you realize that God has always loved you and he has chased you and he wants to be part of your life and all of a sudden you realize, I want that too. I want that too. And so you say, Jesus, forgive me and give me a life, but I want to turn to you, God. I'm sorry for all the stuff that's been in my past, but I, I want a new day with you. I want a new start with you. And in that moment, you are in so awe of God. You are like captivated by the realization that God has always loved you, even before you loved him. Remember that moment? Or do you, do you remember the moment that you first said yes to Jesus' leadership? That moment where maybe it was, you know, you saw someone in need and God's Spirit said to you, go pray for this person. You just had the strong impression of, I'm supposed to pray for that person. But you're like, I, you know, you, you kind of do that thing when you're first saying yes to Jesus' leadership. Where you're like, well, that sounds kind of crazy. Am I just like... Am I going nuts here? Like, why am I so drawn to this? Why can't I resist this? And you resist it. You're like, no, it's going to be awkward. Or no, I don't know what that person's going to think. And then you finally say yes, and you go pray for it. And God uses it in a miraculous way. And you're like, oh. I still remember uh, as I was coming to Jesus, my first yes moment with Jesus, I had someone to talk to me about a mission trip to Navajo Indians. And I, I went, I don't know. It sounds really good to me, but. I'm poor, I'm going through college, i got to put myself through, no way I'm going to afford that. Kind of walked away, drove back to college, and I don't know how any of this stuff works yet. So I just, I was on my way back to college going, God, I guess if this is something you want, you're going to have to figure it out, because I don't know how any of this stuff works, but I know what's right in front of me right now. That's all I know. Four months later, I got a phone call from someone, I, I told one person this. I get a phone call from someone I don't know saying, hey, uh, are you the Sean Andrews that wanted to go on that trip? Your whole way is paid. First time in my life. It's like, I said yes to Jesus. He said yes to me, right? And on this trip, this is the very trip then that, like, God does miraculous things. Like, I, I, I didn't know, like, I'm, I'm sort of a skeptic by nature. And so, like, this whole thing's new to me. And I remember going on this trip, and we, there was a Navajo woman who just needed, she needed healing. She needed prayed for. And I was like, well, I don't do that. I don't even think that happens, you know? I mean, go to the doctor. Just let's take her to the doctor, right? These guys are like, no, no, no. And they're not just like, hey, we're going to pray for her. They're like, Andrews, get over here. Like, here, let me take your hand. And, you know, you, you put it on. Let's, let's do this together. She's healed. 
Like they pray for her and she is healed. And I'm like, no, no, no. That, it doesn't work that way. You know, that's not, that doesn't happen. In this moment that I say yes to Jesus' leadership, everything changes. And I am in total awe of God. Remember that? That's what God wants you to know. Is you can be in total awe of him. And it becomes like when you say yes to Jesus in this way, doesn't it become a little bit like when you first fall in love with someone and you're just like, I'll rearrange everything to be with that person. This is my response. I want to be with them. And this is the response of the people in this moment. So Peter preaches this message, and I want you to, wanted you to feel that and kind of understand that a little bit because the rest of what we're going to spend time with today, you have to see it through those eyes, through that response of, I am desperate to be with you, God. I am in awe of you and everything you want to do. That's who these people are. That's where they are. And so... As we begin into this passage, I want you to remember this is, this is their response. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. So all the people, this, so it's like 3,000 people, they respond to Peter and they say, yeah, we want to turn to God. It says then, here's, here's what happened next. They said yes to Jesus and then all the believers who said yes to Jesus, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. You know why that was so important? There was no New Testament. There was no written, there's no Matthew through Revelation yet. It doesn't exist. If you want to know the words of Jesus, if you want to have them, that life of Christ into your life, if you want to know what Jesus wants for your life, you've got to listen to the guys that spend time with Jesus. And eventually they would take those words and the Holy Spirit would inspire them and they would write them down and we are now privileged to have them to be read over our lives too and to spend time in that truth. And so they gathered together in the apostles' teaching. And they gathered together and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, that's communion, and to prayer. And they were devoted to the practices and environments that would change their life. This is not like for them a response of like, ah, how am I going to fit all this stuff in? Right? This is a response of people who are in awe of God and like, i got to fit it in i got to have this in my life. I want to be in awe of God. I want to be filled by His Spirit. I want the sacredness of God. And this is what it says in verse 43. It says, A deep sense of awe came over them all. Not because there were miracles. Like, and there were miracles, right? A deep sense of awe came over them all because they were seeking God. They were saying, Oh, God, oh, I want you in my life. I am seeking you. And so a deep sense of awe came over them all as they were in these environments, and then, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. There's all kind of amazing things that happens when you respond to God. I hear about them all the time. I see them. People come and they, they melt in worship. They're, they're here at daybreak for the first time. They're like, man, I, it's just, my mind is boggled. I've never understood this stuff before. God is just unraveling my life and what he's about and I never knew this about God before. These are incredible moments where you see the miracles of God in your life, and you're melted by them, and you just are in awe of them. And then, verse 44, it says, And then all the believers, they met together in one place, and they shared everything they had. And then, like, I mean, this is like crazy people stuff, right? They sold all of their property and possessions, and they shared money with everyone that's in need, and they worshiped together at the temple, just once a week. 
every day. They worshipped at the temple. And then they met in people's homes. And they celebrated the Lord's Supper, communion together. And they, they shared meals together. And they had great joy and generosity, all while praising God and enjoying the goodwill. So the goodwill of all the people in Jerusalem as they witnessed this was like, wow, we want to be around these people. These people are special. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved because they had entrusted themselves to God's Spirit. They had said yes to, I'm going to open up my heart, God, will you come in and fill it? And they had this deep sense of awe. And there were some environments out of their response. Their, their loving response to God was that I want to engage in environments that transform me. I want to engage in environments where I can be in awe of you. And these were the environments that they were in. And I want to talk to you about those for a moment. They're found in Acts 2. These what next environments? These 3,000 people come and they engage. And God changes them. Because they said, what should we do? Peter, what should we do? And Peter basically says, you should just say yes to Jesus. Fall in love with God. And let him change your life. Turn to him. Give yourself to him. And your life will be changed forever. Because you'll be in awe of God you begin to live in awe of God all the time. Verse 46 in Acts chapter 2, I want you to look right there. It says this, it says they worshiped at the temple each day. Can you just underline that they worshiped together? Can you just underline that phrase? And I want you to write this word beside it, celebrate. I want you to write the word celebrate beside it. They celebrated together. See, the temple was built to have people be in awe of God. That's If you go back and you actually look how the temple was built, I'd encourage you to do so. If you don't know where that's found, there's a thing called Google. It'll tell you exactly where it's found. It's actually in 1 Kings 6. But if you ask Google, it'll also tell you where you're going to find that. You go and read that, you'll see that the whole thing is built to be amazed of God, to come together. And before this, people came together, they sacrificed, they did all these things. But now, as they come together and they have witnessed that Jesus, the image of the invisible God, has shown them that God has always loved them and he has proved to them his love and they have restored a relationship. Now they come together and they celebrate. They go, God, I want to celebrate who you are and I want to be in awe of you. And they recognize that when they gather for worship, there is only one audience and it's God. That they have come to be in the audience and they go, God, you are our audience today. We bring ourselves to you open-handed, open-hearted, fully committed to say, God, will you change your lives? Will you help me be in awe of you again? And they stand shoulder to shoulder, and they worship to be in awe of God, celebrating God's grace, to be reminded of what he's done in their life and what he can do in their life. That's what worship is about. How many times I've been led in worship together as our family, as I've looked out and I, I saw someone worshiping God, and they were just, you could tell that they were just melting in God's presence. And they were in awe of God. And it led me in worship. Or moments where I see someone just furiously, I can tell God's speaking to them. And they're furiously writing something down that God wants to speak to them. Or I'm praying over a response card. Someone says, this is what God spoke to me today. Pray this over my life. And I'm just like, man, God, I've just led into your presence to be in awe of you again. We all need those moments in our life. You see, this wasn't just another thing that they added to their schedule. This was, God, I want you to be the center of my life. Jesus, I said yes to you. I want you to be the center of my life. And so they came together and worshiped. Now, as a pastor, you know, one of the things that happens, of course, is um, people come and they say, they, they kind of come sheepishly or they, you know, they show up on a Sunday and they're kind of sheepish, like, 
I haven't, I haven't been here in, in a while. And I mean, it's, it's crazy because it almost is like they know that I actually have an attendance sheet that I have to take and report into God and he keeps track of it. I mean, I don't know how they know this. I thought it was just a secret pastor thing, but it's the news is out. No, see, I, but here's what I want to say about that. Because I don't always have the opportunity to say this. Here's my heart as a pastor, as a, as a person, as a brother and sister who loves you. When you're not here, here's what my heart is. I want you to be here, but not because there's some box that you have to check or that you have to feel bad about. I want you to be here because you are in awe of God. Because you have been seeking him and you desire him and you want to stand shoulder to shoulder and look around and recognize, I'm not the only one seeking God right now. I am amidst a a crowd of people, a family of people who want to know Jesus. I'm not alone in my search to know God. I'm not alone in my problems. I'm not alone in melting down. I'm, I'm amidst a people who have messiness but love God and want to seek him. Because, see, here's the danger. The danger in not being in worship is not that you'll go on and live your life and that life will just go on like it normally does. The danger is that you'll go on and live your life and it will just go on just like everyone else's. And you will have, you will have isolation in your life and depression and you will have, you'll lack joy that God wants to give you. That's the danger, is that life will go on and you will miss God at the center of your life where he desires to be and you'll miss moments where God wants to speak into your life because we all need to be reminded of it. We all need to seek him and then come and be reminded together to seek him and be in awe of him today. I know, you know, people come to worship with all kinds of different places. And one of the things I hear as a pastor is like, well, I just, I'm looking for something deep. Like I, I really want something deep. Now, I don't know what all that means, but I think sometimes what it means is like, will you fill in some information that amazes me so that I feel good about spirituality and I can kind of, good, I can go on. That is not the essence of worship. When we come together in worship, it's not information that you need. It is God himself. And you can't get God himself by just getting information. If you'll seek God, he'll give you what you need. He'll speak into your life. He'll fill you with your Holy Spirit. But you've got to come ready to seek, ready to receive, not expecting it. I'm just another guy just like you trying to love Jesus and follow him. But if you'll come and not seek Sean, but you'll seek God, you'll not come and seek some kind of special information, insider things, but you'll seek God, he will fill in the blanks in ways you never anticipated, and you'll be filled by the Holy Spirit, and you'll be changed. And that's the sense of awe that I want for you. That's a sense of awe that they have. But there's more. There's something more that happened here too. This is one environment that they engaged in the response be in awe of God. There's another environment, and you see it in this passage when it says, they met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and they shared their meals together with great joy and generosity. Can you find that? Just underline, they met in homes. And I want you to write beside that where it says they met in homes. Just write connected. Just write the word connected. You see, they discovered that it's not just to celebrate and be in awe of God. Part of living out our lives and being in awe of God is knowing each other and being known by each other. It's coming together and being connected. And feeling love, this smaller group, these places where they got connected, it's where they really experienced love together. It's where church happened. It's where Jesus' dream of an environment. And you can, 
that, that, that helps you follow Jesus. You can, be in, you can be in a group of people, and you've probably had this happen, where you've had a, been in a group of people, but you've not really felt known. And you can be in a group of people that, that doesn't really point you towards God or fill something in your life. It's entertaining, it's fun, but as soon as you get done with it, you feel still empty. What you're invited to in spiritual fellowship is to enter into a smaller group of people who say, we're not at the center of the circle. We're not competing to be at the center of the circle. Jesus is. We want to put Jesus at the center of our lives, and we're going to circle around that and help each other find their way to Jesus. And we're going to live in the messiness of our lives and be okay with this authentic, and you've got a mess. Let's be honest with each other, and let's point each other towards Jesus. This is the essence of real spiritual fellowship, this environment where you love each other well where you bless each other, where you point each other towards God, where you spend time studying what, what does God say to us? What does he want to say to us? What's he want to invite us to? And, and where you eat together. That's what the scripture says, right? That's, my, that's one of my favorite parts is eating together. You ask anybody I've ever been in a group with, the first question I ask is, what's snack? You know, what's a snack? What are we going to eat together tonight, right? It's, there's something important. And I, I, you joke about that, but there's something important, right? When you sit down and you eat a meal together, something important happens as you share life together. And here's what I guarantee you. If you come to daybreak and you worship, but you never get connected in a smaller environment like that, do you know what you're going to end up feeling? I hear it all the time. I don't feel connected. I don't, I don't feel like I'm known. I've never built a relationship. Well, of course not, because that's where relationships get built, where you have a circle of people who center their lives around Jesus and live that together. And that's why we invite it to you, and you need it, because that's where love gets experienced. That's where love it's experienced the love of Christ together. And God wants you to have that experience. And here's the thing. You're going to go through all kinds of transitions in your life and messiness in your life. And if you don't have that before you need it, you won't have it when you need it. That's why I want to always say, go get in a group. Go be part of one of those circles. Have those spiritual friendships. Now, I know that some people, when I've talked to them about this, they've said, but you don't understand, I've tried that before and it didn't work. Like, it just wasn't good. Okay, we'll try another one. I mean, have you ever had a bad haircut? Did you stop getting your haircut because you had one bad haircut? No. You said, I'm, okay. I'm still going to go get my haircut. You do the same thing. You say, okay, well, that didn't work, but I'm going to go find. God has a place for me to find and be connected and be changed by Jesus. And he wants it for us desperately. And that's why this fall we're going to spend eight weeks. We're going to unpack this whole passage. Jesus says, do you know how the whole world's going to know that you love me? It's how you love each other. It's how well you love each other. And so we're going to unpack all of what the apostles said, all of his followers who then wrote down all these one another statements of like, this is what loving one another looks like. Accept and forgive and all these different things of what one another works like. We're going to spend eight weeks unpacking that. And I want to invite you, be part of a group. Put Jesus in the center and say, this fall... I'm going to unpack that. I'm going to spend some time in daily devotions that we're going to have for you. I'm going to come together and worship. I'm going to have some places where I can really learn what it means to be connected to Jesus and be changed by him. And I want to invite you to that. And our, our small group director created a little video to help you understand just what you'll be missing if you don't take up God on his offer to be connected and all the good things that might happen. I want you to watch it this morning. Maybe you'll accept that invitation as your next step. Watch. So I want to invite you to continue like this journey to be in awe of God, to have the right environment in your life, to respond to those environments so that you can continually 
Be in awe of God and seek Him. There's one more environment I want to point us to this morning, and it's found in verse 43 of Acts chapter 2. It says, They had a deep sense of awe that came over them all, and the apostles performed many miracles and signs, and all the believers met together in one place, and they shared everything they had, and they sold their property and possessions, and they shared the money with those in need. I want you to underline those words, shared everything, for a second. I want you to write beside it, contribute. They shared everything. They contributed. They contributed to God's work. They said, God, what do we have to give? What can we give to this monumental opportunity to help others be in awe of God and to have you in their lives just the way I have had you in my life? The apostles demonstrated that they were giving their gifts to God. They were saying, listen, I'm going to teach, and I'm going to allow God's Spirit to invite me into things, and miracles and amazing things happened. And that wasn't just for them, that is for now. That is for you to be a part of what God wants to do. It says in that passage that all the people had goodwill towards them. Why? Because they had turned outward and they said, I'm not going to be about just myself, I'm going to be about others. And I'm going to give my gifts to others, my time and my talent, my treasure. Jesus, when I said yes to you, that's all yours. That's all part of this journey. That's the journey that Jesus wants you to take in your heart. You know, I think if you've been watching the, the press about um, as it's gone through the, the hurricane um, in Texas and uh, Harvey, um, which apparently um, it's a bad time to be named Harvey in the world because people are speaking badly of you all the time. Thank you for those of you who enjoyed my dad joke. I just, Scott and I enjoyed it really earlier. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, dads need those kind of jokes in the world. Thanks for those of you entertaining. So as I was watching it, um, maybe some of you saw on social media and the press, um, whatever you think of Joel Steen, his, his church got fried. He got fried this week and like didn't respond right and all this like negative things. And, and he actually came on afterwards and said, no, we've actually been working with the local authorities the whole time to be set up as the over, next overflow. And whatever you think of him, here's the lesson that I learned as I watched that. Here it is. I went, the world is watching and they are looking for Jesus' people to respond like Jesus would. They are desperate to know the love of Jesus and to have people say, I'm giving my life to share and to invite you in to what God wants to do in your life, to how God would provide for you. We have to be people that say yes to that. You know, one of the things that we did this past year is we looked at this thing we called Refocus was to say we need to get back to what we are all about. And what we're all about is not a church who says, let's just take care of each other, but rather let's take care of each other, and then together, let's go take care of others. Let's invite them into God's kingdom. So we realize we have a whole bunch of incredible ministries that help people with huge transitions in their life to put God in the center and to experience healing and change in their life, whether it's they're going through grief or divorce or any number of things. We have all these great ministries, but the only way people were finding them is if they made their way to daybreak. And we went, that's not good enough for us. There's a whole bunch of people who, who, aren't, who aren't ready to come into a church yet, and Jesus wants them to be reached too. And so how do we turn these outwards? And that's what we've been doing. And some of that is you'll find it in your scoop. It's called Community Impact Projects. And I encourage you, like, this is the kind of church we've always been. You know, there's statistics on church and serving that say that 20% of the church serves and 80% of the churches shows up. But you know, at Daybreak, it's like 70% of the church serves. 70%. Like, we've almost turned that totally on its head because that's the kind of people that we are. I want to encourage you this year, whether it's in your small group or wherever it is, to say, how am I turning outward to allow people to be changed? How am I going to be involved in that and be helping others change their life? Listen, we've been asking 
What's next? When you say yes to Jesus, what happens next? What are these incredible environments that we respond to out of love? To say, God, I want to be in love with you. I want to be changed by you. But I want to, I want to ask a second question, one that you've probably been asking as you've walked to this passage. You've probably been thinking, I have. Why? I mean, why would you say yes to Jesus? Why would you do all this? Why would you, as these guys, they, they, they sold everything they had. Who does that? Why would you set aside everything and rearrange your life? Why would you have a moment where it's kind of like, you know when you've, you've ever climbed a mountain and, and you're getting to the top where you can see the view? And there's this moment where you come over the peak and you look out over and you can see the entire new landscape and you're looking forward to that. Why would you, in your own heart and life, as you're coming to the peak, get to it and say, God, Everything I see belongs to you. I want you to have it all because that's so much better. Why would you do that? Why would you surrender all of that to God's leadership in your life? Here's what Peter says in verse 38 and 39 of Acts chapter 2. He says, Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin. Then, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Why would they do it? Why would we do it? Because God promises the gift of His Spirit to indwell us. That we could experience the transformation and the relationship with God firsthand. That we could have intimacy with God and our lives would be filled. That we could stop running and trying to chase performance and all these other things that we try to prove our worth and finally say, God, it is settled. You love me despite all the junk in my past, despite the failings I'll have in my future. Doesn't matter. I am in relationship with you and you want to change me and transform me. Now in church world, we have, you probably have heard this before, people say, I'm saved. That's that's kind of a, a code term that people use that what they mean by it is this. They mean, I have turned my life over to God. And I've received his forgiveness. And I've told him, like, change my life, transform me. That's what they mean when they say, I'm saved. But when they say I'm saved, sometimes I think people say, like, that's the end of the story. But it's not. It's just the beginning, isn't it? The moment that you say, I'm handing this over, God begins this marvelous work in your life, and you're filled with God's Spirit, and things that were impossible to change before suddenly become possible. And suddenly you find yourself feeling and seeing things differently that you never thought you would see or feel them. Because God's mission is to restore you into the person that he's always dreamed you could be. That's what he does once you make those commitments. Why would we do it? Because it's for our own transformation, but that's not all. Look at verse 39 when Peter says this. The heart of Jesus is right here in this passage. He says this promise, this promise to transform you and to change you, it is It is to you, but it's not just for you. It's for your children and for your family and for your coworkers and for your friends and for all those who are far away and want to seek God and are called according to Him. It's for all of them. You see, Jesus says, I want to transform you. I want you to be like me, but not just because it's going to change your life, because it's going to change other people's lives. The whole point of your transformation is that you'll be changed for the sake of someone else and that you'll help them to get to know God too. I truly believe that the more you become like Jesus, the more people will like 
Jesus. And then they'll love Jesus. And then they'll say yes to Jesus. And their life will totally be changed because of you. Because you entered in. So here's what I want to do right now. Because I want to ask this, this question. This is a harder question. I asked up front, do you remember what it was like to say yes to Jesus? Let me ask this question. Do you know what it's like to say no to Jesus? I do. I spent a lot of my life saying no to Jesus. Because I don't want you to tell me who to date. I don't want you to tell me what job to have. Even after I, I, got, I said yes to his forgiveness and I was saved, and I said, yeah, Jesus, I want you in my life. I do want a relationship with God. I still spent time saying no to his leadership. God, no, not me. I'm not ready for that. I don't, I don't want to do that. I mean, it really came down to it. You know what I was afraid of? I was afraid of losing out. I was afraid that if I said yes to Jesus, I would lose out on something. The truth is that by saying no to Jesus, I was losing out on a whole lot more. God wanted to do a whole lot more in my life, and he wants to do a whole lot more in your life. Because I just didn't have the confidence then that I want to I instill in you today. And that's this. Saying yes to Jesus is like saying yes to God's greatest joys for your life. He designs you, and he knows you, and he knows what's going to change you and fulfill you and transform you, and then your life is going to have meaning and purpose. All of that is wrapped up. Simply saying, yes, I want to be in awe of you, God. I want to seek you and have you in my life. And it is some of the greatest things that you'll ever have in your life. So I just want to take a moment right now for you to take a step of faith, for you to exercise that, to respond today, to consider what God wants for you. Because you need to take a step of faith too. You might say, like, well, I don't know, saying yes to Jesus. I don't know what all that means. Well, you say yes to things all over your life and you don't know what it means. You already do it. You get in your car every day and probably most of you, when you turn the ignition, you don't have any idea what saying yes to that ignition means. You don't know any idea how the car works or what's going to be next. You, don't, you just know it works. That's all I'm asking you to do. Trust me, it works. Say yes to him. So here's what I want you to do. Just bow your heads for a moment. Close your eyes. This might be the only quiet moment you've had all week. Just a moment to be, take a pause and consider. What's your response today to God? To bring your heart before God and to say, God, this is honestly where I am. This morning, some of you, some of you have already said yes to Jesus. But today you feel drawn to be in awe of him again. You lost that all, and today you want to make a fresh commitment to personally engage with God and say, God, will you stir up in me something new again so I can live my life in awe of you? Be the center of my life so that I can live that out. And you know that there's environments in your life like celebration and connecting and contributing, and you haven't been responding in those environments, but you want to be drawn into them, and one of those is Maybe what yes, saying yes to Jesus looks like for you. Some of you, in this quiet moment, you've been admiring Jesus. And today you're here and you feel drawn to a new day, a fresh start. You could use that joy. 
you could use that forgiveness, you could use that confidence that you have a relationship with God and that he has loved you and will always love you and that he wants to give leadership to your life in a way that will fulfill you deeply. You might not know what all that means. That's okay. Your step of faith today is just this. God, I want to trust you. I just want to say yes to you. Just to turn to God and say, God, I know my past is a mess, but I want to trust in your forgiveness and your leadership in my life. Will you lead it? Will you make, become the center of my life? As much as I can see, as much as I know. It's as simple as that. If you find yourself in a place of resistance today to move ahead or tiredness or apathy, I just, I just ask you this question. Why would you want to postpone any longer what the miracles and the goodness that God wants to do in your life today? Why would you want to wait? Lord Jesus, today we bring ourselves before you. Broken, challenged, in need of forgiveness. And I pray that you would, you would help us to be honest in our response to you. So Jesus, we just want to say yes to you this morning in every way. Maybe our yes is just one step in. Maybe our yes is to take a next step in environment. God, whatever it is, will you help us not just to sit still? But will you draw us in with your Holy Spirit? Will you fill us and do something new in us today? As we say, yes, Jesus, forgive me, change me, and help me to live that others might fall in love with you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, I want to give you an opportunity because I would love to pray for you. I would love you to be able to take a next step. And taking the next step, that's saying yes to Jesus. That's the most important part of this service today. You may have been inspired, you may be anywhere, but if you don't do that, you've missed it. So there's a response card in your program guide today, and you can fill that out. If you have a prayer, I just want to let you know, I want to pray for you. I want to join you in it. If you need to take a next step in small group or celebrating or connecting, we want to let you know, we want to help you with that. If all the stuff that you see on our opportunity videos earlier, do you know what they're all about? They're about helping you. Maybe it's the journey intensive to help you get a plan for your life with Jesus. Maybe it's clarified to say, I want to serve and I need to work that stuff out. What does it mean to have spiritual gifts? I don't even know. We want to help you with that. Maybe it's baptism. Maybe you have said yes to Jesus and you're ready to be baptized. Maybe you've never been baptized. You said yes to Jesus, but that was never a step that you took. And this month is the step for you to say, Jesus, I want, I want to say yes to you and be obedient in every area. It's all yours. Whatever Jesus is inviting you to this morning, will you take that next step? Will you spend some time responding to him this morning?